Two Dimensions is plenty for Sega and Nintendo. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. 2D or not 2D? We bought it to help with your homework. And Misty Make. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up to date news for out of date tech. Hello. Hello, Hello Dave. Hello, Chris. <laughs> How recovered? are we? Have I recovered? Um, it's going to take a few days. So, uh, as you know, I went to Kickstart, which is a brand new Amiga event that was uh, held in Nottingham this year. I was there from Friday lunchtime to set up through to Sunday evening. Um, and uh, well, I won't I won't talk too much about it because I got plenty of video footage to put something together, including something very special from our sponsors, <laughs> which we'll see today. And um, I'll, I'll share with you all my experience of that show. Suffice to say, it was fantastic. The show was great. The after party was great. Um, and it was great to see Amiga user groups come together from all over the country. We had the Robin Hood Amiga group, the um, Scottish Amiga user group, Yorkshire, uh, Southwest Amiga group, and others all came together in a room, and it was just nice to see so much Amiga love in one place. Um, fantastic. So if I sound a bit croaky, it's because I had a couple of late nights, but uh, I'm back in my own bed now. Yeah. I did hear. I did hear from lots of people who were at it. Everyone said it was great. So many good photos. It looked absolutely mm. packed. Really pleased to hear it was a success. And thank you very much, Neil, for getting me a present from it. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you got John here to sign something for me, didn't you? I got John here to sign my sensible. Oh yes, yeah, okay, yeah. I know what you're talking about. So um, I took my sensible world of soccer box, which had been signed by Stu Cambridge, and then I got it, took it to John because I wanted him to sign it. And for some reason, I don't know why, he signed it to Dave. <laughs> <gasps> oh no. <laughs> And I did, and then I said to him, "Who the hell's Dave?" And he went, "Oh, oh, sorry, Neil." And then he, he it took about like two minutes changing the word Dave into like a football player and Neil. He, he, he <laughs> but and the thing is, when I look back at Stu's signature, he spelt my name wrong and then crossed it out. So both of them messed up my name. <laughs> so they've just ruined your box, basically. <laughs> basically, yeah. yeah. That sounds like a Mike Daly stunt. Oh, Mike Daly was brilliant. So he was with the Scottish Amiga user group, stood in a circle. They didn't know who he was. And they were talking. So I think someone said something like, are you going to, did you see the Mike Daly talk? And, and someone said something along the lines of, no, he's a bit of a t <laughs> <laughs> and, to which, At which point he kept quiet. And, uh, and then it got into the conversation. And then someone else said, um, no, I think it was the same guy said, but I have got lemons with me, so I will get him to sign it. Have you seen him? And someone else went, yeah, he's right there. <laughs> <laughs> and I might need Duncan to bleep this out because you know what Mike's like. So he signed the box. I saw the box on the inside and it just said, you blend Mike Daly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I was sent. I was sent on WhatsApp. I was sent a, a video of, of that story being told. <laughs> it's cool. not the first time I've heard it. I think it's going to be on um, Fishwives on Stephen Leary's oh, uh, Fishwives yeah. stream. <laughs> yeah, if you follow the Terrible Fire YouTube channel every Friday, Stephen Leary just has a, a, an open mic session, I guess, where anyone can join in, dial in, join him and have a chat. So that's worth it's not, it's not every Friday, but yeah. He does it. He's on a holiday at the moment, though, so it won't be while he's on a holiday. 
Okay. When he can be bothered to do it on a Friday, that's the schedule. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it every six weeks? We, in the same spirit as Pixel Addict, it's weekly. In the same way yeah. that Pixel Addict is monthly. <laughs> Chris, what have you been up to this week? Not much, because I'm, I'm sitting on my wallet, because obviously I've got my UK trip coming up, so I don't want to spend money I don't need to. Although I have already started looking at stock at CEX, because we don't get CEX over here. Um, not in terms of retail store anyway. So Hang on, for- hang on. No, 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 no. When what? you last said that on the show, there was a comment saying, Chris, we absolutely have CX in Australia. Oh, there probably was. Not in Western Australia, we don't at all. They've got okay. a web presence. They may have one or two stores. Nothing like it is in the UK. In the UK, you trip over and you go, what was that? Oh, it was another CEX store. They're everywhere. It's, it's completely different. I'll um, be honest, I rarely go to them. They're not my shop of choice for retro stuff. No, but what I like about them is, because obviously I've, I've uh, dipped into them when I have been over before, is they're actually very cheap compared to the prices we get over here, and they're a great place to just start hoovering up. Uh, well, I won't hoover up just the ones that I have you know, uh, uh, connections to, but things like PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, even into the PS3 and Xbox 360 era, you know, you're talking a couple of quid per game. Why not? Um, you know, I'm not looking for avoid, collectibles um, or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, when you can avoid postal costs factor yeah. adding. Why sense. not? Why not? Um, but yeah, other than that, I've been on Marketplace looking at hi-fi stacks. I don't need a hi-fi stack. I don't want a hi-fi stack, but I've got the CDTV and it needs to sit in a hi-fi stack. That's how I want to set it up. So yeah, that, that will happen. I, have, back. I bought a hi-fi stack and I'm delighted with it. Um, yeah. I recommend them. Uh, I think we went wrong when we went away from them. They're great. Mm-hmm. Go and get one. Do it. Just well, do great, it. Spend your the money. Great, the great thing yeah. is, and this is why I'm not getting any FOMO on it, is because they're everywhere and they're like, you know, 50 bucks, yeah. 60 bucks. And yeah. depending on what you're after, they're so easy yeah. to pick yeah. up. Yeah. I think for a certain generation of people like us, there is nothing more frustrating than a Bluetooth speaker where a stack system would have been 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, just doesn't make any sense to me. After after decades of chasing like hi-fi and and the perfect positioning of your speakers and putting spikes on your speakers so that there's not too much contact with the ground and all of this stuff. And then suddenly it's like, hey, this Bluetooth speaker is all you need. Yeah. Oh, they, do, they, they do sound good and they have clever technology inside them to adjust the sound. So the way we used to do it with the hi-fi systems, we would, we would physically adjust things to try and stop the problems happening. The Bluetooth speakers don't do that. They 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 adjust the sound to 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 to, to overcome it. I think um, they do sound good, but a, a nice hi-fi system looks better. It's I'm not sure my Bluetooth speaker that welcomes me with a really bad Chinese English accent when I turn it on has any of that particular technology in. <laughs> but I think if you if you buy a more expensive one, then maybe yeah. Right, I was perhaps. actually sitting here thinking the JBL that I got my wife years ago, it sounds so much better than any hi-fi we had back in the 80s. It's, okay. it's such a nice tone. It really is, yeah. So, I think if you spend spend more than $3 on it, for, um, then you might, you might be better. <laughs> yeah. I think that might be the problem here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I get the convenience. The convenience of a Bluetooth speaker is, or, or even a sound bar is fantastic. Okay. I will stand down. Uh, Dave, anything that you've been up to, or do you want to go into the housekeeping? Um, it's kind of housekeeping related. We'll, we'll do. We'll cover my bit in housekeeping. Yes, but we, we will do. Let's do the housekeeping jingle.
Costardo has, has posted on the subreddit to let us know. It's not quite a connection, but just so that people know that there are DRM um, free games available on um, Steam. So we talked about Steam and how Windows 7 is going to um, going to be removed from Steam, and that may mean that we're not able to access the games we paid for in Steam. Potentially, we don't really know. But Costardo's point is that if there's no DRM on the game, you can just download it on your on your your modern up to date Windows system, and then just copy the files across to your Windows XP or Windows Seven and play it there. So I, I think I was aware that not everything in Steam had DRM, but it never crossed my mind to think about it that way. Um, someone else has pointed out that Colossal Cave, we covered the VR version of Colossal Cave before it came out. I think it's fair to say that the response on Steam to it has been underwhelming. Uh, it's not set the heather in fire. Uh, it's not been particularly popular, and it's now been reduced down to $8.99 on Steam. I would say that eight ninety nine is much more of a reasonable price for um, what it is compared to the the triple A price it launched at. Saying that, um, I've just gone to the store here and it's showing as reduced to sixteen pounds seventy nine on my store. So maybe oh. it's only in some regions. I don't know. I don't know. This, this was on the subreddit, and I just took it that it was. Um, I, I took it. Uh, as as not a horrible fictitious lie. Um, yeah, it says offer ends thirteenth of July. I mean, check yourself. Maybe I'm being like penalised or something, and you're getting good prices. I was going to say, I think Neil's seeing a YouTuber special where they charge him more. Where they charge you double. <laughs> ah, sorry. I, I turns out, I turns out that I, I'm I'm the idiot here, and it's on Oculus that you can get it. Oh, okay. Eight ninety nine oh. on Oculus. Okay, it's now showing as eighteen ninety nine on Oculus. So that's not true either. That's some great housekeeping there, Dave. Fantastic. So the Colossal Cave, despite it being posted as a, a, as a eight ninety nine, doesn't appear to be, but it's been reduced. And at some point, I guess it might be worth paying a little bit for just to have a look at it. Um, um, I will say some of our opinions are probably based on when it first came out. On Steam, it is showing very positive on the on the reviews. It is. 54 reviews, which is not a great deal for how long it's been out and how much fanfare it came with. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they, they have said that they've been constantly evolving it, working on it, updating it. Um, there's always an argument for, well, finish it before you release it, but this is 2023 and that doesn't happen anymore. This, that's just not how games come out now. So... Um, I'm still not tempted. If it, if it was eight ninety nine, I'd be on it. Sixteen pound seventy nine. Yeah, I think if, if it was eight ninety nine, I was in the mood to play it. Then yeah, yeah, you would do it. Um, and the final thing for housekeeping is uh, there was a comment about my video dropping to fifteen frames per second. So I have greatly increased the the lighting in the room. I now have two LED panel lights as well, uh, and I have uh, also added um, a little bit of audio enhancement to the chain so I should sound a little bit better should be less sibilance and I should also look in 30 frames per second glorious, absolutely glorious so thank you to our patrons for providing the funds that I've now overspent on these things yeah, that, there goes the show budget <laughs> well done Dave <laughs> 2D or not 2D 
We've got a couple of interesting new games set to be released in October from the big names Sega and Nintendo. We've got a Sonic game and a Mario game, which on the surface sound like it could be any year from the last four decades. But what is it that's new and special about these Sonic and Mario games? Well, the thing about them is, and the, the reason they're appearing on this show, is that they're both 2D games. Uh, the, these are companies, Sega and Nintendo, which push the envelope, of course, of video games. And they're now using their most valuable mascots. I think they're probably their most valuable mascots still uh, to push 2D games. Um, it's like the console wars of the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo are back again. Uh, but this time, Sega don't make consoles and both games will appear on some of the same platforms. But you know what I mean? The story was shared with us by Dr. Local, and it appeared in The Guardian by writer Keith Stewart, who I think has um, had some of his articles included before. And um, the games are called Super Mario Wonder and Sonic Superstars. And I've got some quotes here from Keith in the article. First thing that I picked out, he muses that it feels like uh, more like a statement about the industry than an attempt to outdo each other. Game development has become bloated and ruinously expensive with open 3D environments requiring years of work, vast teams and bleeding edge physics engines. Taking these games back to their roots has no doubt allowed Sega and Nintendo to focus their efforts and produce gorgeous looking games with smaller teams in shorter production cycles. So that's Keith's thoughts on it. And um, I agree that, that that may be a factor. We have seen low effort titles before um, released for your phone. There was certainly a Sonic game some years back for your Android, I remember. Um, but I really don't think that these companies would allow their crown jewels to be seem to be too tarnished on certainly on current gen games consoles. So to me, it does feel like um, there's a stylistic decision that's been made in there, and um, done right, it would still need plenty of people to create a 2D game. You know, there's a reason why a lot of animation studios move to 3D modeling for their TV series um, and, and for their movies. To, to knock out episodes quite quickly instead of the painstaking work of painting animation cells. Um, so a new first-party game is going to be expected to have beautiful animated visuals and an awesome soundtrack, regardless of how many dimensions exist. Now, I haven't seen this game in action. We're calling it a 2D game. There's still um, every possibility that it's actually a 3D-modeled game presented in a 2D style. I don't know yet. I need to look into it a little I, bit more. I, I imagine it. It must be. I mean, it must be 3D model. It won't just be pixels and sprites, surely. It would be 3D model, be a 2D perspective, surely. Yeah, I think so, with that sort of retro feel to it. So Keith also touches on something that regularly comes up on this show. It'll probably come up later today. It always does. But um, I don't think we've ever applied these thoughts to Sonic or Mario. So I'll just quote him here. He says, I sometimes wonder if it, become, if it became harder to store visual memories of game worlds in the 3D era. Too much space, too much to see and recall. You experienced 2D platformers like a book from left to right, each discrete stage a single chapter. You didn't just play Sonic and Mario, you read them. I could probably play Green Hill Zone with my eyes shut, just as I can recall great chunks of the Shakespeare, Larkin and Fitzgerald I read at school and university. Now, this is something we usually apply to text adventures, to be honest, and very low resolution um, 8-bit games. I never really thought of Sonic... <sighs> Now he said it out loud, I do I do agree with him on that. Um, there's less of a gap to fill in, less of an imagination gap, as we often call it, to fill in with a Sonic or a Mario, but it is still there, I think. 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I personally have thought for a while that modern games off or modern machines offer so much power. But now that the audience is so broad from people like us who have some nostalgia baked in, such as our age, uh, to brand new young gamers, that the video games can be presented as art however the artist or game designer wishes to relay their story now. It can be first person, RTX enabled, 3D cyberpunk, uh, you know, a whole world where the puddles reflect the neon. It can be a 2D shooter in the style of a 1930s animation, like Cuphead. It, it, it doesn't matter anymore. It just needs to be entertaining and enjoyable, and it can all be created within the very wide boundaries of today's hardware. So guys, were you surprised to hear that these new games would be in 2D or 2D-like? Um, and um, while we're on the topic, are there any games that you love that you would like to see made in 2D? I'm, I'm surprised, but I'm certainly not shocked. Um, game development over time has to it has to follow trends and it has to follow technology um, or, or there's always been a push at least to do that we, we left text adventures behind when it was deemed that they were all technology and then we left point and click adventures behind when it was determined that they were all technology now these days you can still find new ones being made because they're no longer felt to be out of fashion in other words they're old enough that they're not just behind the times there when you see them it's someone making a conscious decision to do it but all through the all through the years that's happened in the 90s game franchisings seemingly had to go 3d or give up um, that requirement is gone now and you can do 3- 2d games without any problems in fact there's more um, in fact, there's, there's, there's more than you could play on Steam and HIO of all-style games in a lifetime now. Um, I, of course, I can't speak for the quality of them. Back in the day, Sega and Nintendo platformers had top-tier level design, and they polished them, and they were a joy to play, and that's why people speedrun them and so on. And if you look at, I'm afraid to say, on the PC and on 16-bit uh, microcomputers, there was always the, the latest Sonic beta. This is just as good as Sonic so is, and the level design was never as good, and that was what let them down. Um, I've talked before about um, things these days being too busy. I think I remember talking about it. Um, oh, what's the name of the film? I forgot the name of that. Um, game, game Over? Not Game Over. Ready Player One, that's it. Ready Player One, that film, I felt was was so busy, it was a chore to watch, and I didn't enjoy it at all. And I think games have gone that way. They're far too busy. There's far too much going on. They don't leave room for, and I'm glad I'm not the first person to use it today, the imagination gap. They don't leave enough room for that. I, um, I maybe need a swear box for the imagination gap, but I love how Keith has described them as reading a book. I've not seen that way before, and he's really articulated it well he's reading a book your brain fills in the rest of it modern games perhaps too much i'm not saying they're they're completely wrong but there's maybe too much of it around just now there's no room for that there's there's so much going on in the screen you can't process it all never mind fill in the gaps um so i i'm glad that um i'm glad that this is happening and sometimes less is more and I'm glad that gaming is maturing to a point where we can have these things. Now, as to what I'd like to see in 2D, well, I'm right back into my Ultima just now. 
And I think on balance, I like the design of Ultima 5 better than 6 or 7. I like the overworld map that way, which is sort of zoomed out rather than the whole thing altogether. But I would want the depth of 6 or 7. And in fact, I want the depth of Morrowind, Oblivion, or Skyrim, which I feel are the, are the spiritual... Um, sequels of the Ultima series. Um, so give me those vast worlds to explore, huge daunting wildernesses, having to, to brave leaving a town and preparing for it, buying your reagents and your food and your equipment to leave the town and get somewhere else, but have it turn-based and have it overhead 2D um, so that I can so that I can do it that way, and let, let's dump the 3D aspect of it. Let's dump the first-person aspect of it, um, and um, I, I think that would be that would be good. Uh, I think I think you can do that now, whereas in the 90s you couldn't do that because we'd left 2D behind and we had to go 3D. And that's how you get from Sonic and Mario to Ultima in just a few steps. I'm, I'm fully expecting yeah. Doom to come up at some point now in the show. Um, I also think when it comes to Nintendo in particular, of course they want to target the Switch with any new games that are coming out, which is technically last generation. And this is what Nintendo have done so well over uh, recent generations, is that they've used the technology that they have really well to create some fantastic games without trying to be on the cutting cutting edge they're not trying to mm. compete directly with microsoft and sony to say look we've made the most realistic looking world they're saying we've made the most entertaining games in a package that you can afford and is fun um and and i think that's probably what they're trying to do here there's no reason why you couldn't do a 3d version of mario and there have been them on the switch but you know it it, it feels like it would sit on that console nicely um as would a 2D Sonic. Chris, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I'm not surprised, um, to be honest. And I was just doing a quick bit of Googling while you're introducing the story to see, which I assumed would be the case, that Sonic Superstars will also come out on the Switch. Is that right? That's right. So yeah. um, Mario on the Switch, Sonic Superstars on the Switch, and then Sonic also on the PlayStation, the Xbox, okay. and Windows PC. Oh, so that's the other places Sonic will be. I mean, so that's a win-win for Nintendo anyway, because, you know, I'm sure there's some kind of licensing to have it available on Switch. I'm not sure, but there probably is. Um, and I think this this caters for young and old players. You know, young players are not adverse to playing 2D platformers. They, they enjoy them. Um, and, of course, old players, um, like ourselves, we have to include ourselves in the word old, I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, we like the nostalgia of revisiting these characters in a format that we're more familiar with in terms of a 2D platformer. Do you feel that um, when it comes to 2D platformers, it's a very stylistic thing for us because we've been through that cycle of platformers are great, platformers feel really dated, and now if I'm going to play a platformer, I actually really want it to feel really retro. If it's somewhere in the middle, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel good to me. Do you feel the same? Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I'm assuming, I mean, these are big players. They're going to do it well. So even if there is, you know, 3D technology at play, I'm sure they're going to do it in a way that feels natural. And, and Yeah, still, I don't you know. I don't think they'd make any hiccups on this. I'm just, just speaking in general, you know. There's that middle ground where it feels like a bit of a late 90s flash game if you get it wrong. Yeah, uh, true. Uh, true. <laughs> and we didn't like that back then and we've got no, no nostalgia for that. But go back yeah. further and make it nice and pixely and I'll play it all day long. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but then there are some, there are some franchises that never really changed other than a very brief segue into 3D like Worms, as we, as we mentioned in previous episodes jumped into 3d and then swiftly jumped back and looks you play a ps4 version of worms and it looks like 1990s 
Worms on the PC. Mm-hmm. Was it swift though? Did, did Worms swiftly go back or did they languish for a while after the 3D and then someone said, maybe we can do 2D now? Was, was it long oh, before the, they went back? In terms of the timelines, I'd have to look that up because I don't know when the next 2D one came out, but there was only one 3D Worms, wasn't there? Yeah, but, and it wasn't well yeah. received at all. Yeah, well, from me, I loved it. Well, okay. <laughs> but everybody else hated franchi- it. A lot of the franchises did this kind of this jump from 2D to 3D. Now, for some, it worked. I mean, Duke yeah. Nukem, for example, really worked well. Mm. Um, but a lot of the franchises went from 2D to 3D, and then they just didn't do very well, and they, they kind of vanished. And then eventually, when it mm. was mm. acceptable to say, actually, we do like 2D, and they came back that way. I wonder how long that period was. I'm just, I'm just curious now. Have a quick Google. Um, but in terms of the, the new players is what I'm really interested in. And um, obviously I've got young boys in terms of they're in their early 20s and one of them's actually studying games art design at uni. And retro style games are in vogue and there's plenty on the Switch and there's plenty on Steam. Um, and it, they're not just for us. We make that assumption that they're for our generation, but they're actually not. They, they absolutely lap it up. And some of the most fun games on the Switch are in that sort of very simplistic we would almost call them flash style games, um, but they love it because it's taking everything back to the base of fun gameplay and everything else is stripped away. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and now we're in a position where everybody is connected. You can revisit some of those old genres and go, oh, actually, this this really works with um, something like Overcooked with multiplayers online or something like that, you know, simple top-down view, simple mechanics, but you've got that competitive online element added and it's suddenly incredibly fun. Same, same with Worms. I mean, Worms 3D, I just looked up, the first 3D Worms was in 2003. So it's not like it was under pressure of the first PlayStation generation to go 3D. It was still 2D at that point. So it's a little bit sort of late to the party. It doesn't feel, 2003 doesn't feel like it, it was pressured to go 3D. That was a choice, I think. Yeah, It was It was cool because it, it the environments were completely destructible. And as a family, we played it on the OG Xbox, uh, like, like I said, a couple of episodes ago. And I think there's a there's a game mode called Forts. I think it was called Forts. And basically, the objective of, of other than destroying your opponent's worms is to destroy their land mass. And the team that destroys the most land mass actually wins the round. And that really worked very well in 3D because um, it was it was sort of fairly simplified 3D, but the, the the worlds were destructible, which was quite a hard thing to do in that time period. You think, you know, 2003, there weren't that many 3D games that had fully destructible environments. That was that was quite a bold thing to do. I have looked it up. So, um, Worms Reloaded in 2010, according to Moby Games, Worms Reloaded is the first traditional 2D entry in the Worms series for the PC since Worms World Party. And um, that was in 2001. So they went from 2001 to 2010 without a 2D one. And it was 2000 and it was 2004, did we say, or 2003 for Three. the Worms? Three. 2003 for, for Worms 3D. So about seven years they went from there. But I, I, I am, I'm shocked it was 2003. I, I, I would have, if you'd asked me when to guess it was, I would have said 1997 or something. Yeah, but like I say, 1997, you try and have. 3D with fully destructible environments. Not, not a lot. Well, of we had Lemmings 3D. We had Lemmings yeah, 3D. True, and true. That didn't yeah. go so well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a hard thing to do. Yeah, yeah. 
So October, these games are due to come out. Um, so if you are a console owner, uh, if you're a Switch owner, you can get the new Mario and pretty much everything else Sonic will appear on. Look out for those. Thank you to Dr. Local for submitting the story. Chris, do you want to shoehorn Doom in before we end the story? Actually, yes, because I didn't answer your question as to what games I would like to see go back to 2D. Look, oh, here we go. Wolfenstein, we you know discussed, came from 2D, as did Duke Nukem. So, what about sending Doom Guy back into the flat? It's already been done. There, there is a Doom 2D. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go and look it up. Get your fair enough. Up. Fair enough. <laughs> Neil, we are sponsored by Pixel Addict Magazine, but I think you asked them because we feel that sometimes. And this might shock our listeners, but sometimes our sponsor slots aren't as good as we'd like them to be. We thought we'd ask them to do it professionally for us since you were meeting them. I was um, a roving reporter at Kickstart. I bumped into them at their stand and I said, right, show us how it's done. And this is how it went. Hi, I'm Ian from uh, Addict Media, uh, Amiga Addicts and Pixel Addicts, uh, and I'm here with Neil. I think you may have met him before, uh, and uh, we're just uh, talking about uh, Pixel Addicts. This is one of the older versions here. Um, the newest will be out in uh, on the 12th of July, I think. Don't look at me. Uh, well, yeah. I, I, you presume that I know. Um, and uh, it features the uh, Commodore Plus 4. Um, there's uh, the new uh, album from the Fastloader. Is being covered in there as well, so that's all, all great sort of metal versions of a uh, of um, classic C sixty four and Amiga kind of uh, tracks. And Holbury um, Heroes, you've got a chance to win a copy of Xeno Crisis on the N sixty four. Oh, there you go. So there's the uh, the new Homebrew Heroes section, and you you've got the opportunity to win a uh, can't remember what it was there. Xeno Crisis on the N sixty four. Sure. Yeah. So you've got uh, Homebrew Heroes, and you've got the opportunity to win the uh, a copy of Xeno uh, Crisis on the Commodore 64. N64. The Commodore N64. Yeah. You make us look good. Yeah. I do. I do. Um, so uh, you buy this. Low stuff. Low stuff. Yeah. I sound like Michael Spicer now doing that. So you. So you've got uh, Homebrew Heroes and. You've got the opportunity to win Xeno Crisis on the N64. Uh, there's just loads of stuff in there. You're kind of a retro lifestyle magazine. Where on earth can I buy this incredible magazine? You can go to addict.media on the, on the internet and buy it straight off the internet, or you can catch us at one of these lovely shows like Kickstart 01, and we'll sell it directly to you. Oh, oh yeah, and you can buy it in the shops. <laughs> and hold that pays. I wish we could be that professional. <laughs> Thank you for sponsoring us. Why did your parents buy you their first computer? Why did they buy it? And I don't need to ask you because I know the answer. It was because they seen it on the telly, particularly in the UK from the Computer Literacy Project, um, that computers were going to be the next big thing. And it was vital that kids learn to use them to get an advantage. And I guess they were right too, although perhaps it wasn't necessary to use them at home. Everybody uses them these days in the office, and nobody need, nobody needed to learn how to do pixel perfect jumps in Manic Minor to be able to operate 
Outlook. My story this week was submitted by Antiques for Geeks. I do like that username. And it's by renowned Celtic-supporting TV star Dominic Diamond. Now, we've actually talked about Dominic Diamond before when someone submitted a, a pre-Games Master in-depth news thing he did for Scottish News TV about software piracy. A really interesting thing. Um, and he writes a monthly column for The Guardian. And unlike Pixel Addict, he understands that a month does not contain six weeks, and he actually matches his monthly column to the calendar. Now, Dominic tried to explain the ZX Spectrum to his son, Charlie. Now, he mentions that he's about to go to university, so I presume he'll be roughly in the same age bracket as yours, Chris. Um, Dominic even talked about the, the ZX Spectrum printer, proving that he must have watched last week's episode of This Week in Retro. Now, the conversation is very amusing, and it shows that his son didn't really get the Spectrum. So, first of all, Chris, let's bring in your kids. Do they get the Spectrum? They, they do get it, don't they? No. Um, what they get is that they have no interest in it. Um, and I think that's down to me. At the end of the day, I hadn't reintroduced these things when they were younger, and, and I think they would have you know, uh, taken a, a bigger interest if I had. Um, one of the things I did do, which they took to quite well, was the first PC that was their PC, I actually pulled it apart, told them what each piece did, and then told them to put it back together again. I said, don't be scared. You can't blow it up. Um most things will only go in the place that they have to go and will only plug in one way, put it back together again. Um, and it was a great learning experience. And they were probably about eight years old when I did that with them. Um, they still don't seem to know what goes on inside a PC other than the fact that one's doing games art design and can do 3D. In fact, I, I taught, so Zach was doing games art design. I taught him 3D Studio Max when he was in primary school. Uh, and then he was, of course, gone on to do extra study and does it for a job as well as studying as well so yeah but spectrum nah not at all i don't mean i'm not meaning do, do they do they enjoy playing the spectrum because i think that's a bit much to ask but do they do they get it do they understand why you like it and what you did with it i don't think so no <laughs> i really don't other oh. than obviously that was the technology available at the time um and mm. yeah this is rather than downloading off steam the, the 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 game is on a cassette and you have to load it and this is what it sounds like but it's just a lack of interest it's not that they mm. I, it's hard to gauge how much they get it because it really isn't a discussion that we yeah. have does that make sense Fair enough yeah yeah well like Neil, I didn't have a Spectrum. I had an Amstrad CPC. And although lots of people maintain that the CPC was a posh micro, I don't agree. I think if you already had a television in your bedroom, you got a Specky. And if you didn't have a television in your bedroom, you got a CPC because that came with the monitor. And it was... Um, it was priced by Alan Sugar to be extremely competitive. My mum had borrowed a BBC Model B from the school over the summer. She's a teacher. She borrowed it from the, well, she was a teacher. She borrowed it from the school over the summer to get familiar with it. She didn't use it at all. She didn't actually get around to it, but I certainly did with my brother. We borrowed some games from a pal. We played Elite and Chucky Egg and a game that kind of like Exile, but wasn't Exile. I don't know what it was. Uh, I've never been able to find again. Uh, maybe my memory's wrong. Um, I loved it so much that we got a 6128 for Christmas. My parents obviously understood that I, I really enjoyed it. So we got the CPC 6128 for Christmas. I was already a technology fan. I was already engrossed in arcade machines, but I took to the CPC like a duck to water. Now, but going back to the article, um, the subheading Dominic has given is the parents of 
the home computer gamers of the 1980s presumably hoped would become programmers or accountants, but instead their kids ended up like me. And um, I guess that's true for some of us. Uh, some of us ended up with a career in it. Um, Neil, you've had kids in the cave. How do they take to micros? Do they get it? And do you think maybe Dominic was playing up a bit for the article? Yeah, I mean, kids kids get it, just like we did when we were kids. So if you remember how adaptable we were, how keen we were to understand the tech and make what was sat in front of us work, you know, the kids that come to the cave, they want to try everything and they, they want to get it. Uh, the issue they have is they get it, but they don't always know how to get it. So the, the youngest the, the youngest kids that come to visit, they're more often than not used to touch screens. They're often not confident using a mouse or maybe even a keyboard. Um, if you ever watch a kid try and play Unreal Tournament with WSAD and a mouse, uh, it's not natural to a lot of them because they just haven't done it. Well, and uh, is that not a thing? The mouse and WSD is that old now? So many of them have a switch now. It's just not. It's just not how they game. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty that do, but so many that come and visit don't aren't used to gaming in that way. And then add to that, you know, a cassette tape, which looks like it's landed from outer space, typing in basic commands to load a game. It can all be difficult, and no kid wants to feel embarrassed or frustrated, especially in a public setting. No adult does, for that matter, but, but no kids do. So um, if you can't get past those hurdles very, very quickly, and I'm talking about within seconds, the kid will then just move on to something else. Um, that's, that's just the way it is. But once they're into a game, they're very happy to play it. They're happy to pick out its good bits and, and laugh at its limitations, and they have a lot of fun. Um, there is also an exception to every rule. I remember very recently, maybe two weeks ago, a kid came in, must have been 12 years old maybe, sat down at BBC Micro, coded rock, paper, scissors, um, not using a book, just from their own BBC basic knowledge, and I sat down and had a game of it, and, and, it, and it, you know the code ran and it worked. And it was brilliant. So, um, yeah, so I'd say in summary, if a kid has made it as far as getting into the cave, as wanting to visit and come into the cave, they they already want to learn about old kitten games and they want to get it. It's my job to educate them in a way that will engage them and help them to get it. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I should also uh, let people know about uh, a video from Rose Tinted Spectrum who has gone through games that were created by children at Bears Den Primary School uh, near, quite fairly near to me in Glasgow. Um, they've made some games on the Spectrum. Their teacher is a Spectrum enthusiast and they've made some games on there. So uh, have a look at that video, I'll link it in there. It's kind of related a bit to this, so clearly they get it. Um, Hey Hey 16K, we all love that old classic and one of the lines was, we bought it to help with your homework. And I think when it first appeared on Beta all those years ago, I think we all got a laugh because it helped very little with our homework. We could force ourselves to use the computer to do it to print out our homework, but it didn't really contribute very much. Uh, I should also point out, just to make you feel old, that Hey Hey 16K came out 23 years ago although the, the beta version with the video uh, was 2004. And 23 years ago, the Spectrum was less than 23 years old. So that should make you feel nice and old. There's a link in the show notes to Dominic's column and also have a look at Rose Tinted Spectrum's video.
So before we go into story three, we're going to have a musical interlude from our friend Banjo Guy Ollie, who, while recording this show, I noticed a tweet appeared uh, for his new song called Wee 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 Doo Doo, featuring This Week in Retro. And this is what it sounds like. <laughs> Welcome to my house. My last week came from the side of the road, simply applying the pressure. It was just there. I cleaned it up, Dave. We could have done that. That's how things are done these days. We wheeze. Do you think he knows that we record at this time of the week and he, he dropped it specifically knowing we'd be doing it? Oh, probably a lot I'd of like people to think know. he did. A lot of people <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, um, go and check I, out Banjo Gaioli on, on YouTube and give him a sub for the whole song. It's a it's quite quite an earworm. <laughs> and there's a video well for done. it as well. The video is worth worth watching. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank yes. you very much, Banjo Banjo Gaioli. Add me in stitches. You guys uh, were into point-and-click adventures, and the one that always brings to mind for me when this topic comes up, even though I never really played much of it, was was Mist, uh, which oddly I think I've got a false memory of anyway, as I swear I remember kind of FMV movement sequences between the scenes, like you click and then it would sort of slide in via FMV to the next scene. That's how I remember it. Um, but when I looked it up this week, when I was researching for this story, I couldn't find any of them. I found something similar to what I was thinking in Riven, I think, um, but but not in Mist. But anyway, am I going crazy? No, the, I, I have memories of games that aren't real memories. Um, and don't worry about it. I think you've 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 um, in Mist, you sort of moved about in it like it's Google Maps, mm. uh, like you were clicking about in a Google Map thing. But I think it's the imagination gap that your brain's filled in and you remember the bits your brain have filled in. Um, I never think I've missed those a point and click, but I can't say you're wrong to call it a point and click. I mean, it, it is a point, you point, you click, um, you don't use the keyboards. Uh, it's a point and click, I guess. Neil? Yeah, I mean, you might be confusing it perhaps with uh, Return to Zork. Had some sequences sometimes between different scenes mm. that you were in and had the sort of swooping intro sequence. Um, I can't remember now. Did Mist have an intro sequence around the island? I can't remember now if it did or not. Um, but yeah, it's more of a flick book, isn't it? Going around with animated elements within the static scenes to, to bring it to life. Um is Mr. Point and Click Adventure is the, is the other question that pops up there. I, I think of it more of a, as a as a clicky puzzle game than a point and click. I don't know. You tell me if I'm wrong. But when I think of point and click adventure games, I think of my character being there in the third person on the screen. And I'm clicking oh, for my person to walk around the screen and do things. Whereas Mist is a first person adventure game. And it's, it's a small difference. But for me, it puts in a different subgenre of adventure game to point and click, perhaps but feel free to disagree. That's a fair point of difference. Well, anyway, Mist is a point-and-click slash first-person puzzle adventure game with FMV elements. <laughs> we'll call it that. Um, and if you had the right grunt in your PC back in 1996, then, you know, the the illusion was, was quite a nice one. But what if you didn't have, and Dave's holding up, the Mist trilogy right now? Fantastic. Yeah, beautiful, big box. Very good. 
Um, but yeah, what if you didn't have the right grunt? Um, and it was sort of in that era of, you know, if there were FMV sequences and your machine wasn't quite up to scratch, then you'd sort of get that choppy playback and all that kind of stuff, which didn't make it a very pleasant experience. I recall the playback on my machine at the time being a bit dodgy anyway. But what if you only had 16 kilobytes of space and a resolution of 40 by 48 pixels? Well, actually, you'd be fine um, because a crazy person called Vince is working on a demake of Mist for the Atari 2600. There's no FMV, of course, and you're taken scene to scene in a series series of still pixel art images. Um, and in the context of the limitations of the VCS, this demake actually looks quite stunning. That may be pushing it a bit. It looks nice. It looks quite nice. Um, and side-by-side uh, comparisons do actually help you understand what you're looking at in places. Uh, you, of course, look around using your hand pointer, just like in the original, but now you control it via the joystick rather than the mouse, and you select left to, you know, to look left and right to look right and forward to move into the scene, uh, depending on where the cursor is loca- located on the screen, much like the original. Uh, and many of the game's mechanics are there as well, including being able to select and pick up things and interact with objects, all from a first-person perspective. Uh, Ask Technica actually have picked up on this story as well, and I'll link to their story in the show notes as uh, as well, uh, because they actually give excellent side by side side by side comparison images showing each scene in its original form and on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Vince is basically aiming to make the game completable without being a complete game. So what I mean by that is he's reconstructing the shortest route through the game and not bothering with the fluff for now. Uh, what do you guys think of Vince's approach and what he's managed to squeeze out of the Atari, Neil? By, by fluff, do you mean the game itself? Yes. <laughs> yes. He's removed <laughs> large chunks of the game itself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Just an intro and then an exit. <laughs> That's it. No, so, no. Chris, do you like adventure games or do you think they're just a lot of fluff? <laughs> All good oh, games have yeah. a, a an element of fluff, I think. But anyway, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so um, uh, the first thing I'd say, having seen this, if you don't know the game Mist, you're going to struggle to recognise some of the scenes because some of them are identifiable. Others just look like some kind of abstract art project. And you've really got to squint to work out what it is. Um, but, you know, considering it's an Atari 2600, it's incredible the art that they have come up with within its limitations. Uh, I think what really fascinates me about this whole project is that you're seeing a genre of game that predates the hardware running on it. So it's a first-person graphic puzzle adventure game. That wasn't a thing in 1977. Um, The nearest thing I can think of is probably Sierra's Mystery House in 1980, but that was presented with like line art. It wasn't in this kind of artistic style. And this is an Atari 2600 trying to be photorealistic um (laughs) trying its very best um and being a first person puzzle solving game i mean i guess the if you want to talk about adventure games on an atari 2600 you would say adventure very different type of game you know it doesn't Mm. even come close to it so um there were early signs of people wanting a slightly more in-depth gaming experience from there um also had not the first, but one of the first Easter eggs hidden in that game, which is something we were talking about last week. So there's a little connection there. So um, I admire it for the fun it's having for just seeing a different genre on a 2600 that isn't a simple shooter or um, a Pac-Man or River Raid. It's just nice to see something different on there. And 
It's kind of how I imagine the real mist looks if Chris or Dave are playing it without their glasses on. Does that seem <laughs> about right? <laughs> it's about right. Yeah. Um, am I allowed to mention the imagination gap again? Oh, go on then. Um, yeah. If you look at the side-by-side pictures, which is in the article, I suggest you do that. Um, link in the show notes. For most of them, I think an imagination can fill in the gaps. And I think... I'm happy to play a game where your imagination does fill that in as long as there's enough there to do it. But one in particular did make me snort with laughter. Faces are not easy to do at all that way in blocky pixels. Yeah, there was one face in particular that appeared that just reminded me, it was like a side-on profile, and it reminded me of the witch from Granny's Garden. Did you see that one? <laughs> yeah. The, the Apple II version he's done, I think, is fully playable. Maybe one day I'll give it a go. I do have the Mist Trilogy, um, to, to play and I'm meaning to play it I, I did I, I missed it when it first came, I missed missed when it first came out um, but you I should, did uh, go you back play and, it on your play it on your mister Dave oh I could play mister yeah <laughs> the mister I missed on the mister um <laughs> I uh, missed it with the first. Oh, got that again. Missed, missed, <laughs> missed, 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 missed. <laughs> I did not play it when it was first released. However, I did have a look at it a couple of years afterwards, and I just had a quick look. It needs patience and it needs a lot of effort to try and get into spirit of it. I think we talked about FMV games before, and I think you need to sit down and want to and want to let it want to let it. Um, want to get into it otherwise it's you're not going to enjoy it at all so maybe maybe i'll do it i i think i should play play the original through properly first before i look at a make. yeah fair enough i've actually got exile and riven on my shelf and have played neither um but but they're up there um so you can actually read about this demake on Vince's website on Dita.net, and we'll of course include all the links in the show notes as always and he's got a really good breakdown of you know the challenges involved and, and how he's done things and links to videos of gameplay, and you can download the ROM and try it yourself as well. He's also put his work on GitHub, um, so yeah, head over to his site for all of that uh, and and his other projects, and he's made a few, including Mist, Lemmings, Monkey Island, Out of This World, and Jute Nukem, and many others for the Apple II, and he's also got Secret Collect, Secret, uh, Secret of Monkey Island intro. I don't think that's a game, it's just the intro. And an ET parody called Cheat, as in C H E A T, uh, for the Atari 2600. As you guys know, I'm loving having original Ataris in my collection, uh, but it, 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 it's times like this that I'm so glad that I also have the Flashback 9 so I can sideload ROMs like this and, and actually just give them a bash at a moment's notice. Well, I loaded up the ROM for Mist on my Flashback, and I can honest, honestly say it's just like the original. In without that the fluff. I have without the fluff, <laughs> in that I have no idea what I'm doing and I can't get anywhere at all. So great work, Vince, and thank you, Reddit user Senior by four four five for making us aware of Vince's work. Time now for our community question of the week, and you'll remember I was so excited about last week's question. I can't wait to read your answers. Tell us about your first printer. Dave's shaking his head. <laughs> I, I I looked at the, the responses to that. Lots of people were delighted to talk about their first printer. I, you're wrong. You were wrong, Neil. You were wrong. I didn't wrong say anything to... there, Dave. I just said I was very excited. No, I heard him. 
Yeah, what's up with you, Dave? I was Honestly. disappointed. What yeah. system was it attached to? Was it a pain to set up? Do you have happy memories? Now, Duncan's put an answer in, so I'll read that out for him. He says, I can't remember the model I had. And that's Duncan's answer. So there we go. Let's get you. Now, he says, I can't remember the model I had, but mine was a nine pin Olivetti that was hooked up to my CPC 6128. And I used it with MiniOffice 2's word processor whenever I could think of a reason to. I have fond memories of trying to help a friend set up his 24-pin colour printer on an Amiga. We tried to get the colours on the paper to match those on the screen, and we used a headshot of Michelle Pfeiffer. She looked very orange on paper. A while later, I got an, <laughs> a while later, I got an Epson Stylus inkjet printer and used a program called TurboPrint with my Amiga and was blown away by the quality of the print. Needless to say... Every assignment handed in at uni was packed with full-colour images and diagrams that they didn't really need. Oh, and an Amiga logo on the footer of every page. Okay. Nothing wrong with <laughs> So, thank you, Duncan. Now, let's go and read your answers. Have we locked the thread, Dave? Yes. It wasn't in contest mode. Um, it should be in contest mode. It wasn't. It doesn't matter. It's not in Great contest job. mode. We can go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um... I'll, I'll read the first two because the first one's very short. Um, G7VFY says, I still have some dot matrix printers. I hire them out as props for TVs slash movies. So there you go. Who would have thought of that as a job? I am the go-to guy for dot matrix printer hire for TV shows. Do you hire out more stuff? Is it, do you have a, is this a little, a little side income for you to have all these things you hire out to TVs and movies? An interesting thing there. Yeah, let us know. Let us know, G7. I know that um, I think the Cambridge Computer Museum have a side hustle where they rent stuff out to TV shows mm. and movies and things like that. Interesting. Um, I think it's perfectly possible, but I think you probably want to have a whole side inventory just for that purpose because it's going to get yeah. abused and battered a bit. Um, so you've got to be quite organised to arrange that, I'm sure. Um, and then the second answer from RM Gauge uh, 127 says my first printer was an oki data oki mate 10 for the c64 okay okay mate it was painfully slow but printed in color there was a demo picture that the printer could print that reminded me of jrr tolkien's lord of the rings a tree with some rocks and things if i remember correctly the anticipation of what the picture would look like was electric for a 13 year old i guess later i got a faster black and white printer that was a lot more usable for schoolwork my last dot matrix printer was a Panasonic KXP 1124 uh, that made a frightfully loud screeching sound while printing, a sound that Chris did such a good impression of last week. Yes, Dave? I was going to ask Chris to do his impression again because <laughs> I was really, really amazed by how good it sounded back in the playback. Like, it's no hassle for me. I'll do it again. Okay. Um, and uh, it says uh, the quality was much better as it had a 24-pin print head. And no, I don't miss that sound at all. Printing banners for birthday parties on tractor feed paper was pretty cool, though. And uh, I did notice that LGR also commented on last week's show yes. about Dot Matrix um, printers. That's what he, he, he's done, the, the banners for, for that with Cool Crab and all the rest of it. They're really good, really good. Yeah. Uh, Dave, do you want to take the next answer? DJ Chris Fury. Is that you, Chris? No. Uh, DJ Chris Fury says, My first printer at home was a DEC LA75 dot matrix printer that was surplus at my place of work, which have 
Everything DEC, that's Digital Equipment Corporation. And if memory serves me right, I had to make a cable to plug it into my Amiga A500. The printer has an RG11 or MMJ knowing DEC and was 25 pin serial on the Amiga end. Not a problem for me as I used to install these printers and connect them to terminal servers back in the day. By the way, my impression of the, of the printer noise beats all of your poor efforts hands down. <laughs> it's fighting talk. <laughs> it might have... Maybe this is you, Chris, because your impression did beat ours hands down. Um, it beat mine hands on... down. <laughs> I've seen a video I, doing I the rounds recently. You, it means it beat us two. Yeah, I've seen a video Fall doing the rounds the... recently where there's a guy doing impressions of the exhaust sounds or engine sounds of lots of different cars. Oh yeah. So yeah. maybe you could sort of specialise in different dot matrix printer sounds. So yeah. Chris, Chris, yours was more like a star writer. Oh yeah, DJ that's what I was going Chris for. Fury, Fury could do a good deck impression. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's the difference. Following on from a technical Lego story, we started a Lego club in secondary high school and we even made a club card so we could show it and get back into school at playtimes and lunchtime to play with the school tech Lego using a BBC Micro. The turtle plotter with a pen used a language called Logo, if memory serves me right, and memory does serve you right because that's what it did. Um, so right again, so there is a link on this tangent as it sounds like Lego. I will shut up now. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> Do you think everyone should just end their comments with, I will shut up now from now yeah. on? <laughs> then we know when to stop reading. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Fantastic. Uh, Chris, do you want to read out the next one? Yeah, so the last one is from F030. Um, first printer for me came with our family's Atari 520ST. Uh, became mine soon after. It was an Atari SMM804. What made it awesome? The angled styling that matched the Atari ST, the thing looked like it oozed speed and was about to take off. I actually used to use the thing for about five years and have fond memories of the dot matrix sound. Yeah, I think it's a cool thing to have nostalgia for. Did you have one of those, Dave, I, Mr. Atari? No, I'm Dave? just, I didn't even know you existed. I'm looking at on eBay now. Hmm. Oh, no. brand wow. something. You know, you can just do wow. an image search. You don't have to buy one. <laughs> if you want to know what it looks like, you don't have I find to find it. is a good place to find images of them. Yeah, true. The, so uh, thank you to uh, um, everyone who submitted answers. We've got lots more answers in there as well. Lots of long answers about. Um, oh, Marin Bala had an uh, an Epson FX eighty. Um, Tor Tor had a Star LC ten, um, and said it was the best thing ever with the excellent punched paper. I am reflecting the excitement shared by Neil. Yeah. Um, the gas man another star lc10 the lc10 seems like it was quite popular um commander red had a um an hp 2100 it wasn't their first but they did have that at some point and enjoyed the fact that it did postscript which was really important for using programs like quark express to get that WYSIWYG uh, output that we were talking about prefim had sinclair zx printer um so many more in there so if you want to go and have mm. fun reading about this might be our most answered question of the week in recent months so it's much a excitement long scroll. for printers it's a long there's, scroll there's a lot of great stuff in there mm. I'm getting From RSI old to new Naoki's first was a USB printer so slightly newer Citizen ABC printer Stiff Peaks yeah fantastic so thank you so much to everyone for um, taking participating and, and leaving your comments I take it all back. I'm, I'm enthused after reading your answers now. It's really nice. 
So um, our new question of the week, should we go with 2D game demakes? Is there a game that was 3D that you would like to see in 2D? Dave, you're, you yeah. look like you're thinking, yeah, yeah, you'd like that question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you asked a question, so I gave it I gave it consideration. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, okay, we'll do that. Question of the week, um, what game would you like to see get a 2D remake and why? There we go. That's what I said, but Dave said it again. And Duncan will put it on Better. our Reddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. Leave your comment. Make sure you end your comment with, and now I'll shut up. And we'll look forward to reading them in next week's show. Before Thank next so week's much. show, I will delete any comment that doesn't end with, and now I will shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm afraid it's time for all three of us to shut up. Yeah. Smooth. Take care, everyone. See you next time. Bye-bye. I'm shutting up. I'm waving. waving. Neil's waving. Chris is Chris waving. Is frozen. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> That's why he's got the hoodie on. As soon as we finish, he's going to put his beanie on. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RNC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Do 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 do